This is a podcast by One Life Christian Church in Baldwin, New York. We pray that the following podcast would encourage you, build you up in the gospel, and lead you closer to Jesus. We remind you that these are simply tools to help you in your walk and ask that you still look for a local church to attend and serve in. Welcome to the living room. Today is the beginning of a, our new sermon series, which is called Teach Us to Pray or Teach Us How to Pray. And if you remember in reading scripture in the Gospels, the disciples go to Jesus and they ask him, teach us to pray. Teach us how to pray. And what a longing that they didn't ask of him, teach us how to do these miraculous things. Teach us how to do these cool things that you do. Teach us how to heal others. Teach us how to make water into wine, which maybe some of us would ask the Lord for. (laughs) Instead, they say, teach us to pray. Now, I'm not a master theologian. I am not someone who has the gifting from God to study words or how words are put together. But as I'm reading this, at first, the series was called Teach Us How to Pray. Because when I hear the disciples say this, what I hear is teach us how. Give us the formula for how to piece together how we should come before you and ask you for something in prayer. But then I realize that what I'm reading is teach us to pray. Do you hear the difference? Teach us how to pray and teach us to pray. For the next few weeks, and I don't even know how long yet, but for the next few weeks, we're going to be learning about prayer. Not only about prayer in itself, but how to pray. I feel like a lot of us, at some point in our lives, we felt like, hey, I know that I need something. I'm not sure where to go for that something, But I remember that mom or grandma used to tell me that I should take my prayers to the Lord. But I've heard as a pastor especially that people come up to me and they say, I want to pray. I want for God to hear what I have to say and what I need, but I don't know how to. Right? Some of you have said that to me also. I don't know how to pray. So for the next few weeks, we're going to just explore that, the how-to. But before we even get to the how-to... I want to set the foundation for this series, which is that we learn that there is power in prayer. Okay? Because what is the point in learning how to pray if you don't believe that it can do anything for you? So we're going to talk about the power of prayer this morning briefly. If you'll open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21, there is a Bible under under your seat or under the seat in front of you. If you'll just grab that and... uh, Be blessed by this. Ephesians, we're in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 to 21. And it's right after Galatians. These are the letters that the Apostle Paul, a superhero of our faith. These are the letters that he writes to the churches. In this case, to the church in Ephesus in chapter 3. Verse 14 says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and, and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. 
that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I want to begin by making this very crucial and powerful statement that may throw you back for just a moment. And it's this, prayer changes nothing. Prayer changes nothing. This is not to say that prayer is not important. It is. But this is to say that prayer itself does nothing without the God who is able to listen on the other side of that prayer. Does that make sense? Because otherwise, prayer is just you talking into nothingness. If you don't believe that there is someone on the other side actually listening to what you are saying. And more than listening, what verse 20 tells us, a God who is able to respond. It's a big difference. H.B. Charles says, prayer works not merely because of the words we say, the promises we claim, or the faith we express. Prayer works because God hears and answers prayer. Because if we don't believe, once again, that there is something on the other side of that prayer, we are speaking into nothing. We have to believe that there is a God that hears and answers prayer. If our longing in prayer is to pray more efficiently. And what does that mean? What does efficiently mean? Efficiently means that I ask and then receive, just like God says, right? Ask and you shall receive. If our longing is to pray and to pray more efficiently, then we must stretch to know the God behind the prayer and not just how to pray in the prayer itself. The author of our opening text, the Apostle Paul, begins by exalting God in verses 14 to 16. And just so that you know, and I'll mention this again later, in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 1, there's, in Ephesians there are two specific prayers. The first prayer, Ephesians 1, is Paul saying, God, give me your knowledge. And here in verse 14, he also opens with, or he also speaks a prayer, and I love the way he formulates this prayer in verse 14 it says for this reason i bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named in verse 14 we see a reverence before god in the bowing of the knees again he says for this reason i bow my knees before the father he recognizes who he is praying to he then says father while invoking the greatness and the vastness of God. Then we see in the end of verse 21 that he praises the greatness of God at the end of our opening text. But this is a lesson for us that we, that when we pray, we should pray by first exalting God and then and by praising the name of God. But have you noticed that the structures of our prayers are first to greet God and then to hand him our shopping list just as you would a Christmas list to Santa Claus? Right? When we think prayer, it is let me go to God and give him immediately the things that I want from him. So I know that in this season of my life, I need healing. I need provision. I need a job. I need food. I need uh, Safety for my children. I need reconciliation in my marriage. And so what we do is we go to God and we say, God, give me this. 
But look at what Paul does first before he even dares to open his mouth to ask God for anything. He says what? I bow my knees before this great God. And he says in verse 14, he speaks about the spiritual paternity of God over all generations and the inclusivity of God. He says, every family in heaven and on earth. I say inclusivity because by saying every, it dismantles ideologies that God prefers a specific type of believer over other types of believers. Now, in this day and age, because I want to speak very clearly, I'm also talking about racism. God doesn't prefer a group of people over another. That's why Paul says that it is, that he is the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth, verse 15, is named. That we all can look equally to the father and say this is father, this is Lord, this is God, creator of the universe. Galatians chapter 3 verse 28 says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor nor free there is no male and female for you are all one in christ jesus let's remember these passages whenever we feel the temptation to feel like we are perhaps a little better than the person sitting next to us that we are all one in christ jesus god listens to the prayers of the righteous and he responds period a lot of us folks like to say god didn't listen to our prayers because they didn't get what they wanted but friends, be not mistaken. Your desires do not supersede his will. Are we getting this? Are we getting this? Our desires do not supersede his will. Just because his response to your prayer is no, doesn't mean that God is not good. And furthermore, I advise us of this, friends. No is an answer. And what I said this morning was this. If you find that every time you go to God in prayer, like your response to what you asked for is a no or he just doesn't give it to you, then instead of looking to God and saying that he is not good, you should look towards self and what you're praying for. Right? Because it's easy for us to look to God and say, hey God, I thought you were good. You said ask and we shall receive. That means that I should be able to just ask for something and you should be able to do it for me. But remember that he is the master and we are the servant and not vice versa. And there are times that he says no. And I want us to sit in that tension. Because a lot of you have seen God say yes. But most of us and not all of us have not gotten the response we wanted from God. So we're tempted to look to God and say, hey, this is not what I asked you for. In verse 16, Paul speaks to the wonder of God's glory and that according to his riches in glory, he grants us strength and power. And it's the office or the job of the Holy Spirit to form faith within us, within the hearts of all believers. But listen, if you dare pray, then you should also dare believe. And why do I say dare pray? Because prayer isn't made as reverent as we should make it. There's something that's missing here. If you remember, I, this is only my third week back 
Seven weeks we were out because my wife, Diorca, was struggling through her recovery, right? She had gone through stem cell transplant. We had to be out for seven weeks. Of, maybe you guys don't know, but of the seven weeks, for four or five of those weeks, we were away from our children. And our children are small, seven and two. And in this time, I was nervous because my whole life, this is the longest time in all of my life that I haven't been in church. I'm not saying that I've been pastoring for my whole life. I haven't. But my parents made sure to teach us that Sundays were for worshiping the Lord. So for me to have a Sunday and I'm home cutting grass was, was a little bit, it was different for me and it was very difficult. And in the first two weeks, I'm watching online and I find that my anxiety is going through the roof. And I'm like, I don't want to bother them, but I totally was. You know, apologies to all of our team for those two, first two weeks. The whole time I'm texting them when they should be listening and receiving. And then in the second week, I told Marlon, I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm not going to watch anymore. Like, I want you guys to have the freedom to do what God is asking of you in this season. And so I disconnected. And in my disconnecting, I was like, I need to take this opportunity to be refreshed in God. And I read this book. Be happy for me, I read this book. <laughs> I love reading my Bible. I will admit, I don't love just picking up books and reading them. But someone gifted me this book called Fan the Flame by Jim Cimbala, the pastor at Brooklyn Tabernacle. And I'm reading this book. And he said, our longing should not be for our church to just be large. The longing should be for each one of us to know how to pray and know how to invoke the presence of God in our lives. And I'm paraphrasing because what this book said to me, it's called fan the flame. And when you fan the flame, do you know when you fan the flame? It's when you're trying to get the flame to turn on. Anybody grill old school here? You put the char exactly, thank you very much. You put the, Eric, when I, next time you grill, you got to have me over to the house, bud. But right, when you see that the fire is kind of going out a bit, what do you do? My grandmother, my dad's mom, who's no longer with us, she would come and grab that little fan and just go. And that little bit of air and oxygen would cause this flame to rise. And you know what the fan was? that fanned Jim Cymbala's flame in this book. It was prayer. And if you know Brooklyn Tabernacle, you may not, but today it's a church of easily 10,000 people. And even as big as they are, their specific foundation, not for growth, but for trust in God, is prayer. They know how to pray and as the pastor of this house, my friends, I'm going to call us to correction. And I've said this weeks and weeks and weeks. We're not praying. My longing is not to see every one of these chairs filled just with bodies and for us to go home and clap because people came. There's no point in you coming if you don't learn to believe in what we're teaching. If you don't drink from that water. Right? This is not a game. This is not a game. I understand that grandma and grandpa and your mom used to drag you to church, and today it's just kind of a Sunday thing that we do. This is not a game. You are fighting for your life, or you should be. But for many people, this is, 
just something we do. And even prayer, my friends, instead of our prayers just being when we go to God for God to give us something to eat or something to cover ourselves with or something to put on and money in our pockets, we should go to him and know first how to be reverent and say, God, I just long to be in your presence. You know how difficult it is for some people to be in the presence of God. This is the house of God. We also are the temple of God. But this is a house of God specific for the glory of God. And how difficult it is for some people to make it here. And when we're here, we're thinking about everything else. How hard it is for us to come to church and not see a drummer and a piano player and a little bass, a little low. Everybody likes a little low in their music. But look, I didn't tell David that today I was going to talk about intentionality in prayer. The power of prayer. We should all be poised to walk into a room that is silent. And without the need to call for worship for us to be, Lord, I know you're in this place. That's how we make God portable. If there's one thing that I lack is time. And every single morning, I know that I have a drive to work and I have a drive from work. And in those times is when I sit with the Lord. I'm driving. My eyes are open because we think that pray without ceasing sometimes is, well, I don't have time to just sit in my house on my knees clamoring up to heaven. No, no one's asking you for that. We're asking for you to constantly be in the presence of God. And how do we do that? We commune with him through prayer. For those of us who know how to pray, you know how to speak to God intimately, right? Everybody wants to make this, this only this formula, and we're going to talk about formula for the next couple of weeks. But more than formula, we're trying to invite you into what is a genuine conversation with someone who you know. When you call a brother, when you call a best friend, not friends that you want them not to answer the phone for, for you, but... Uh, someone you love, someone you want to speak to, have you noticed that even if you haven't spoken in years, the conversation is so easy? That's the longing we should have to speak to the Father in prayer. Lord, today I come before you. You are mighty. You are awesome. You are great. You are worthy. Worthy is your name. We glorify you. I glorify you. I lift you up in your space, O oh Lord. Be who you say you are, my God. Amen. Not every prayer even needs for you to ask for something. What he longs is to hear your voice in glory to him. Verses 17 and 19, they show us the spiritual benefits. We're still in Ephesians chapter 3. It shows us the spiritual benefits of faith and especially faith in prayer. That God may dwell in us through faith. And that we... Verse 18 says, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. But that you may, I'm sorry, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And saints in verse 18 re refers to those who have repented and trusted in Jesus for their salvation. Now, we get to believe we get to what I believe is the most crucial part of this prayer, which is this beautiful poetry in verses 20 and 21, also referred to as a doxology. The second prayer that we see in the book of Ephesians, verse 20, 
to 21 says, Now to him who is able to do far more than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We must first note that like in verses 14 and 15, we acknowledge the authority and the omnipotence of God. What does omnipotence mean? Omnipotence means that God is all able. He is all powerful. Early, Paul calls God Father. But now he refers to him by saying he who is able. That's his describer, his descriptor. Not just Father, but he who is able to do what? Far more abundantly than all we ask or think. A lot of people love verse 20. Right? I didn't want to just give you verse 20 and 21 and give you this whole, you know, sermon about how you could just ask for God and he'll give you more than the hundred bucks you asked for. Because to come to a place where you can ask God and for him to respond requires for us to have a relationship with him. And that's what we read beforehand. Before we even get to where he says that he gets far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. And the purpose and power of prayer is in giving God glory. Everything we do is about giving God glory. And this is something we haven't understood in the church. And that includes us, my friends. I've noticed... When you go to conferences and pastoral things, and the first thing they tell you, and even if it's leadership stuff, right, the 80-20 rule, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. My desire is that we as a church would break that, that expectation. And this is going to be just a hair uncomfortable. Every time we ask for help, it's the same people who volunteer. What does that tell me as a pastor about their hearts? You know what it is for us to say, hey, we need this as a church. And for the people to say, hey, I'm ready. You don't even need to ask. I'm here. What are we doing? Doesn't matter. I'll help. Whereas most of the church, it's this. May God forgive us for that. Because when we stand before God, I know, I know, I know it's uncomfortable. Rock with me for a little bit. Because this is my job. Do we know that that's my job? My job is to be your shepherd. My job is to call out the things that we're not doing right and to make us straight. It's uncomfortable. But your longing as believers should be to serve God and especially in his house. So you need to ask yourself the question, how am I doing that? Am I following through with my portion of this work? And when you do, when you finally say, you know what? I will serve in the house of God and I, I will be ready at the call. You should do it only for the glory of God. That he would be glorified. And that's when we stretch for perfection. Not perfection, I'm sorry. For excellence. David corrected me in that before. Not perfection. We'll never do things perfectly. But for excellence. Because why? Because we're not doing it for Pastor Isaac or for one of the elders or for the person sitting next to us. Everything we do is for the glory of God. In verse 20, it starts by saying, now to him who is 
able. That's important because what is the point of praying if you don't believe that the person who is listening, that the God who is listening is not able? So able means this is a statement of the omnipotence of God. Nothing is impossible for God. Jeremiah verse, uh, chapter 32, verse 17, Jeremiah says, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. And nothing is too hard for you. God responds in Jeremiah 32, verse 27. He says, behold, I am the Lord. There's no doubt there. The God of all flesh is anything too hard for me. He is able. And able means having the power, skill, means, and opportunity to do something. So the God that we serve and the God that we pray for has the power. He has the skill. He has the means and the opportunity to do something. Your heart should be praising. Because he is able. Because if that abundantly wasn't there, the simple fact that he is able should be plenty. Listen to Paul's words again. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. So not only is he just able, it says that he is, he is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. There's a story in Second Chronicles about a king named Amaziah. He came into power when he was 25 years old. He reigned for 29 years. He avenged his father's death by killing the murderers. And when he took over, he found and built an army of 300,000 strong, healthy young men. And in addition, because they had the finances, now Amaziah was the king of Judah at the time, Israel. He also hires 100,000 soldiers and pays them 100 talents to be part of his army. But as he's preparing to go to war and send the armies out, an angel comes before him. And the angel tells him, don't send out your army because God will not give Israel the victory. Imagine it's easy to fight wars if God himself will come to you and say, hey, don't do that because I won't be with you. He says, don't send out your armies because God won't be with Israel. But check out the response from Amaziah because I feel that it reminds me of us a lot of times. In 2 Chronicles chapter 29, 25 verse 9, it says, and Amaziah said to the man of God, the man of God is the angel. He says, but what shall we do about the hundred talents that I have given to the army of Israel? An angel is standing before him, him telling him, don't send out these young men because they will die because God won't be with you. And what does Amaziah respond? What about all the money I just paid them? Can you imagine? Like that's his worry. That's his selfish worry. And many times when we come to the Lord in prayer, it's the selfishness that keeps us from the efficiency of prayer. Because our longing is not to glory, glorify God. It's for God to give us what we asked for. Do, you, do, do we understand the difference of this? He asks us for humility of heart. And what we give to him is a reversed role of us asking him to do what we ask of him. But not for his will to be done. Do you remember that it was three times that our Lord and Savior, before he went to the cross, he says to God, what? Father, if there's any way that you can let this cup pass from me, 
but not my will, yours be done. Big difference. Like these are the things that we need to learn about prayer. That we go to the Father, not for our will, but for his to be done. And what happens after Amaziah asks this ridiculous question about his money? The angel looks to him and he says, The Lord is able to give you much more than this. That is God's faithfulness. Amaziah was more concerned with his costs than being obedient to God. He was more concerned about the things that he would have to sacrifice and give up than to be obedient to God. But friends, hear me here. Everything that you give up for the sake of the glory of God and for the purposes of his will, he is able to return back to you in abundance. But don't do it for the abundance. Do it for the glory of God. I don't want us to miss this. The Lord is able to give you much more than this is what the angel says. Don't worry about what your obedience costs you. Glorify God. Some of you may have lost friends, family, job, provision, things, money because you've chosen Christ. Because you've chosen to obey what God has called you to do. But he is able to give you more than what you have lost. I don't know about you, but some of us take pay cuts to serve the Lord and to do his work. But when we sit in spaces of obedience, he is able to give us far more and what? abundantly and what i love that it continues saying is far more abundantly is already a thumbs up but it's far more abundantly than all that we ask or think friends there are things that god does on your behalf that you didn't even know you had to ask for here you are asking for usually it's provision right like God, give me this. Where we are busy asking God for things, God is already working on all the other things that we require, that we need, that we don't even know to ask for. And I thank God that he gave us, because this is glorifying the Holy Spirit also, I thank God that he gave us the Holy Spirit, that when we don't know what to pray for, the Holy Spirit is hands up in the air saying, Jesus, help Isaac with this and that, and all of these things that I don't even know how to ask for myself. Have you ever come to prayer and said, I know I need to ask for something, but I don't know how to ask for it. Well, here's the beauty, because not only is God omnipotent, he is also omniscient, which means he's not just all-powerful, he is all-knowing. The things that you can't put into words, the longing in your heart that you just can't formulate with vocabulary, friends, he already knows. He already knows. He already knows. For all of the things God has done for you, you think he just whipped it up in the moment? No. He has always been omniscient. He has always known the steps that you would take well and the steps that you would take poorly. And so thank God that he gives us far more abundantly than all. And if you have your Bible open, circle that all because all is all. All that we ask or think. God alone can make anything 
or can make nothing into something. He can turn your struggle into ministry. He can, turn, he can take the lowly and bring them high. He can take your broken marriages and reconcile you back to real love. He can take your sorrow and turn it into joy. He can take your anxiety and turn it into a peace that makes no sense. Philippians chapter 4, Lord, that you would give me a peace beyond all understanding. What does that mean? That means that it doesn't make sense. And this is not in my notes, but let's go back because he says something similar. Verse 19, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about trusting God. You will not understand everything that God does. And guess what? That's a good thing because that's what makes him God. So you might be wondering, Isaac, we're reading all these amazing things about God, but you know what, quite frankly, why don't I feel that? Well, that's faith. You don't have to feel everything. But every, like we want to be convinced by our feelings. That that is our human nature. But you don't have to. Once we surrender something in prayer, we have to believe that God is the God who is able to do the impossible. And a reminder again, Nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is nothing. Everything is possible with God because the power of prayer isn't in the prayer itself. It's in the God who is able to hear and respond. Some of you are looking at me like you have no idea what I'm talking about. If conversations about prayer knock you out a little bit, I ask the Lord go with you. I sat the other day in a meal with people from the community that we're looking to connect with and pour into. And when they came, the idea was just to hear them out and to get a little bit of their story. And when they sat, we gave them some food. And immediately, I felt like the Lord was pressing me to share with them the story of the woman at the well. Here are some people who are struggling with some addictions and some some sobriety issues. And I'm like, wait. If what they're longing in their bodies is to be satisfied in a specific way, it's a thirst. It's a void. Once we recognize we're thirsty, I know what water I can offer them for them to never be thirsty again. And so I sat down with them and I said, listen, I'm going to read to you a story. And we made a bunch of copies and at that table we talked about this. And when we sat there, half of the room was like, amen, amen. And the other half of the room was filled with doubt. Because this is what the goodness of God does. This is what the good news of God is. And I love that what that teaches me is that it is not my job to convince you all to drink of this water. Even Jesus himself in the book of Revelations, when he's speaking to the churches, he says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Lord is saying, right? What the word of God is saying. What does that mean? Does that mean that they were deaf? No, it doesn't. But they were deaf in their hearts. Some of us sit in spaces like these and we hear the word of God proclaimed and we make intentional decisions to not believe. It doesn't matter what you say. I'm not going to believe. Isaac, you're talking about prayer and what you're going to notice is that if you're not listening to what we're talking about in the power and intention, we might leave here thinking that God is still an ATM for us. Instead of being like, wait, I'm about to ask the creator of the universe to do something for me that probably is so insignificant in comparison to what he has already given me and yet because he's a loving father he says what to the righteous ask and you shall receive i wanted to make sure i clarified that because i don't want you to leave thinking that i'm saying don't ask for things hey he is the father lord 
this is what I need. What I want us to recognize is that there are so many things that we don't even know to ask for. And God is still able to provide it abundantly. The power isn't in the prayer itself. The power is in the God that we pray to. And check out what Paul ends with, and I'll wrap up here too. Verse 21, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Two things. The first, as he wraps up this doxology, this piece of poetry and prayer, he does what? Once again, he glorifies God. He starts with glorifying and praising God, and he closes by glorifying and praising God. And how do we do that in our prayers? We do that by us saying, Lord, not, your will, not my will, but yours be done. Lord, I know that I've asked these things of you, but what I long for most is to be in your will. Friends, if we learn to walk in his will, even if it feels like fire, we will always find life. I remind you to remember of those three boys, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, when they said they were confronted literally with fire. And what was their response to go into this burning furnace? They said, even if God doesn't save me, I still won't worship your gods. That, is, that should be the longing of our hearts. And all for what? Because they refused to worship gods that were not their God, their one and only God. And they chose to worship God instead. So even in the fire, God can be and will be with you. You can try also, the second half of this verse, we can try to separate Jesus from the church. And you'll never be able to do that. You can say, I love Jesus, I don't like church. You can try to say that, but the truth is that they are a bundle package. The church is Jesus' vessel of love for the world. Furthermore, I need to say this because we're in an age of technology. Online church is not congregation. Because I know the cameras are on. I know, I'm, and this is, this is not a shame thing. I know some of us couldn't make it today. There are some of us who aren't around. Listen, thank God for technology. Praise the Lord for technology. But what God calls us to is fellowship. What God calls us to is to be together. Yes, obviously we've learned things like COVID happen and sometimes we can't. Absolutely, once again, praise God for technology. But what he calls us to is community and fellowship. This cookout that we have today, I hope you're hungry. I am. This fe- th- these are fellowship excuses where we get to eat food together and get to know one another. This name tag Sunday is on purpose because if we are a family, we need to long to know one another. It's easy to just be like, okay, see you next Sunday. Oh, what's difficult is being like, hey, I see you every Sunday. What's your name? Good to meet you. That's an intentionality in fellowship that I invite all of us into. And even in that, that God would receive All the glory, and not just for today, it says all generations, throughout all generations, forever and ever. And then Paul ends with this word. He ends with the word amen. Amen is a word of affirmation, and it means let it be so. It means so be it. That that be his will and also what we desire to do in our hearts. So can we all say it together? Amen. Would you buy your heads? Thank you for listening to our podcast. One Life Christian Church is located in Baldwin, New York. To find out more about the church, visit us at www.onelifeli.com.